0: welcome to the tier one performance lv podcast where we help you find your inner athlete by discussing all things from fitness health mindset optimizing performance self-discovery and growth today's podcast we are joined by corey Walterin, who is a sponsored endurance athlete for north face corey how's it been going buddy
1: Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty good. Uh, A little tired, actually. Uh, Just got back from Wales. Um, Says doing a 100-kilometer race over there, and now I'm just getting back to being on the time zones here in the US.
0: Awesome, mate. mate. Wales, um, let me guess, was it raining?
1: It was, every day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I spent a little bit of time in Wales through uh, my time in the army, and it always seemed to be raining for some reason. So, uh, yeah, how did you like it in Wales, though, my first time?
1: Uh, yeah, it was my first time there. Uh, it was pretty awesome. I mean, it's beautiful, it's rugged, the mountains are amazing. Uh, but it's it's definitely interesting going there, coming from, you know, summer here in the U.S., Where, uh, like right now where I'm at, it's like 90, 95 degrees and humid every day. And then in Wales, I think the high temperature in town might have hit 60 degrees once. Um, (laughs) But it was like 50, 55 most of the time, slightly raining, windy. Um, And then like up on the mountains, it was still 30 degrees and raining.
0: Nice. So just just (laughs) the the type of weather you want when you're uh, doing a 100 kilometer rest yeah awesome man um well mate i just kind of want to let people know how i um touched past with you which um is a point that i want to that i highlight to everyone is i think the outdoor communities one of the most, I'd, I'd say one of the most positive communities of people because there's always like positivity or from what I've received is, you know, you, you'll you see complete strangers and they'll be saying like words of encouragement, whether you're on a race or maybe you're just out doing some, you know, tough training and you might catch people's eyes and they're like, whoa, like what you up to? And the thing that stood out about me to you or how we got connected was, I know here in Vegas, there's the uh, Frenchman's Mountain Trail, which is, um, it's a pretty gnarly trail. Um, it's what I like to call, like, it's my travelator, where if I just want to get some good vert and some savage incline and obviously just the savage downhills, it's a tough old trail. And I came across an Instagram post. I think it was either via you or, um, I think, you know, Kev, who does a lot of work with you and, you know, capturing your, you know, highlight moments type of stuff is, uh, yeah, seeing, like, who's this guy? He's just on the fastest known time. And the gnarly picture was, it was the trail, but it was etched out with the snow on each side. So as soon as I seen that, one of the key pictures that stood out to me was when you had the helmet. And I was just like, okay, this is uh it's not just a crazy runner like myself. This guy is like serious about his business. And then I just decided to, you know, hit you up on IG and be like, Hey, you know, I'm just about getting into the ultra stuff. I've got my first ultra. Um, once I did obviously see your profile, I was like, man, this guy's legit. Um, can we connect? And yeah, man, we connected, we went out on a run. And uh, since then, you know, we've kind of stayed in touch, which is cool, man, um, mate, when, I mean, obviously, you're an accomplished runner, which we'll cover, but when did running and, you know, like the trail or endurance stuff, when did that kind of become a thing for you?
1: Yeah. um, Oh, man. Uh, I believe I did my first ultra in, um, I think it was December of 2014. Um, And it was wild because I grew up, you know, just as a track and field runner, 200 meter, 400, 800. Uh, sometimes up to the mile, um, but did cross country also, but was a swimmer, played baseball. So I just did a lot of different sports. Um, but a lot of the sports I was doing were a lot more of like the short explosive type movements and not necessarily the endurance side of things. Uh, I guess American soccer is endurance, obviously, and uh, and short bursts of speed. But um I just, I really liked the shorter stuff. So I think it's funny as I sit here and kind of talk about uh, the process getting into ultras uh, because, you know, even 10 years ago, I I don't think I would have said that I was going to run a marathon, let alone an ultra.
0: Um,
1: So basically I was competitive all through junior high, high school. um, And then I wanted to play soccer in college, but I had a few too many concussions my senior year. And they told me I couldn't play soccer uh, my first year of college and said that I should focus on running. And then if I wanted to, I could go back to soccer. Um, And running just kind of took off for me then. Um, And it wasn't even necessarily that I was great at distance running, but I had some success in the 400 meter and the 800 meter. Um, And I was still running cross country for our college team. And um, it was like, you know, cross country... I I enjoyed it, but it wasn't what I really loved. I just loved being on the track. Um, But anyway, uh, my college kind of had a tradition where um, basically the senior class, they all kind of run a marathon after their last track meet. So they normally pick like a summer marathon or something. And I didn't. Um, I was busy doing triathlon stuff at that time. And with a swimming background and a running background and just multiple injuries, it kind of forced me onto the bike. And so I ended up qualifying for the half Ironman world championship, world championships twice while I was in college. Um, And so that's kind of what got me into the endurance stuff. Um, And so it was just, I didn't run a marathon. I still thought a marathon was way too long. Never wanted to do one. Um, But with the success in like the half Ironman, Uh, it basically led me down the path of, I moved from Illinois to Boulder, Colorado, thought I could become a professional triathlete. It seems to be the thing that everybody does, you know, it's like, oh, (laughs) I had some success moved to Boulder. Um, and I started hanging out with trail runners and mountain bikers and just through that, uh, I was exposed to the world of trail running ultras, uh, something I had no idea even existed.
0: Right. right. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, I'm kind of like that buddy. Um, I'm obviously I've only been up to Colorado uh, once and yeah, I've seen obviously a lot of documentaries and it seems that all of your top endurance athletes and even like the, is it like the Olympic athletes when it comes to like the running, the base seems to be in somewhere in Colorado or a lot of people are based out of there. Is that, is that just because of what's, I don't know, like the terrain that's available and the altitude it's like the perfect place
1: yeah absolutely i mean boulder is an awesome place colorado in general is pretty cool um and so like the one thing about boulder is they already have like just they have great roads for cycling they have great paths for running um it's a very outdoor community i mean even down to like the grade school level um they're just programs set up getting kids active getting people active getting people into the outdoors and so because of that when you go to a place like boulder um it's it's really hard to go there and not want to be better because you can go out on any run you can go out on any ride you can hop into any pool and there's always going to be somebody there that's faster than you um and and it's it's just so wild but i mean you can show up for a group run uh that you think is going to be some like easy run or whatever and there could be an olympian there or you could be in the pool And you guys both might be in the fast lane, but it might be like the, you know, the half Ironman world champion is also in the same swim lane as you just like crazy things like that. So uh, I think it's just very contagious once you move to a place like Boulder and want to do well. Um, And I mean, they have the roads, they have the trails, they have everything, but there are also a few other cities that are like that in the U.S.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mate, that sounds awesome i like pretty much need to add that to my list then and uh, definitely get up there and check it out a little bit more um man, with that said so you just mentioned there's some other places if you you know for people who are listening in different parts of the country or maybe even if there's some cool spots that you've checked out in other parts of the world you know what's some of your other spots where you ideally if you could just land there and maybe train there for a few months out of the year like is the any of them places that stick out to you
1: yeah, so absolutely. Personally, I love Vegas. I mean, I spent quite a few months in Vegas training. Uh, obviously, you know, summers can be quite rough in Vegas, but uh, <laughs> fall, spring, winter, I mean, it's it really is a great place to be. Um, and even in the summer, you can still get up, you know, Mount Charleston and kind of escape the heat a little bit. Um, Flagstaff, Arizona, I mean, it's another place that just kind of, has a lot of really amazing athletes all training in a decently small town. Um, So once again, like there will always be somebody faster than you if you show up for a run in Flagstaff. Um, Reno, Nevada is also a great town to train in. Uh, People always laugh at me when I say that, but I'm like, Reno is amazing. Um, And personally, I mean, I love Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, That's where I'm doing a lot of my training these days and um it's just it's a different type of running than anything out west but it's amazing
0: yeah and uh what's so with that mate what's what's the biggest difference between like you just said between there and the west is it just the weather conditions or uh
1: well we definitely have the heat and humidity out here um that's the one thing for sure um but the trails the trails are just different um a lot more A lot more roots rocks and mud out here um and so chattanooga i would say is a great place to be uh, to get anything from like a technical trail to super runnable trail i mean it has it all Um, but then once you head a little bit south into north georgia you can really start to get some of like the really gnarly trails um and i mean you can get out onto the appalachian trail you can get out onto the penhody trail um just a lot of really solid options
0: awesome buddy um mate, i mean obviously i have followed you and I, obviously i know you a little bit more but um like what does what does a general almost i'd call it like a training year i don't know if you break it down like that but uh when you look like 12 months ahead do you have certain things that you want to tick off a bucket list or is there certain challenges where you're like all right i'm working towards this or do you kind of i don't know like free flow into things
1: Oh man, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, it really depends. Um, and a lot of things kind of depend on what races I get into or don't get into through lotteries and stuff like that. Um, or, or just, you know, qualifying for a race, whether it's a golden ticket or, uh, whatever, because I don't I don't want to say that I don't have a direction in terms of what I'm trying to do but there are just a lot of things that are really interesting to me and so sometimes I have a hard time like setting aside like okay I need to focus on these three things or yep. do I try to do like 10 things throughout the year and just really enjoy my year and so that that's kind of the delicate balance I'm trying to be a little more focused on the racing or FKT side of things, but still uh, do things because they're interesting to me and it's something that I find is going to be inspiring to me rather than just checking a box and being like, oh yeah, I I got a golden ticket so that gets me into Western States or something like that. Cause I mean, that would be very inspiring to me too, I guess. Um, But I don't know that returning to Western States by racing my way in has been the direction I've
0: wanted to go. Yeah, got it, buddy. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's kind of a little bit like with myself too. Um, I'm not chasing the big, you know. Even in the little knowledge that I have, you know, like the Leadville's, the Western 100. It's more races that I think are going to be challenging and kind of align with what I want. So for me, it's more like mountainous areas and kind of um, even if it's just a remote race as long as it kind of ticks a few boxes as in is it going to be challenging it's out there and it's in the mountains and at elevation then cool let's go for it that's the type of thing instead of like you said yeah just chasing the big big names and um yeah that's awesome man mate with the um within the outdoor community like i mentioned earlier i you know i think it's a really positive place you know you get to meet a whole lot of different types of people who are all doing like, the, you know, similar things, maybe at different levels. You know, I know for yourself, mate, you represent like uh, like a smaller group within the running or outdoor community. Like, could you tell us a little bit more about that, mate? And like, you know, bring some awareness to, you know, what you're kind of, you know, representing as well out there.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's very... I don't know. The outdoor industry has just changed a lot over the last, well, I guess I've been in the sport for like four years now. So I'd even say in the last four years. Um, but, um, but it's like, it's so wild because, uh, before, like, I didn't even know what, I didn't even know what trail running was, um, up until like 20, 14 or so like I I legit had never heard of the western states 100 before um I think I had seen like this video of maybe bad water 135 on like the discovery channel or something and even at that time I don't think that I realized that uh people were running 135 miles through death valley in July like I didn't know that was an actual race I just thought it was somebody doing something like absolutely nuts Um, And so uh, looking back on that, um, it's been like, you know, I just, I didn't see anybody that looked like me in the sport Um, and like the advertisements for um, just like outdoor gear and like camping and whatever. It's like, oh, like that's not something that people that look like me do. Um, And so, but like, for me, that was never the thought process behind it. It was more... Uh, just the fact that like I wasn't exposed to those things. That's not something that uh, my family did. That's Mm -hmm. not something that my friends really did. So I had no idea what it was. Um, Whereas, you know, once I moved to Colorado, I was exposed to like this whole world of trail running and mountain biking and rock climbing and ice climbing and um, all these different things. And so that's kind of what really got me thinking like, oh, if there's somebody like me that, you know, might actually be good at these sports, but has never been exposed to it, then how do we bring more awareness to that? And how do we spread the, like the journey and the process and the learning and how do we make it more accessible? Um, And so that's kind of like the big journey that I've been on uh, ever since I raced uh, Eco Challenge Fiji, really.
0: Yeah, I actually, well, it wasn't until after I met you, but um, when you put me onto that, yeah, I watched it. And uh, yeah, that was an amazing you know, challenge in itself, I mean, not to spend all day on that, mate, but could you just give us and the listeners just a quick, you know, like run through of exactly what that was and where they can check that out too if they haven't seen it?
1: Yeah. So Eco Challenge Fiji is on Amazon Prime. uh, And I I raced that in 2019 and it came out in 2020. And basically it's uh, about 400 miles that you have 11 days to cover Uh, those 400 miles but it entails things like mountain biking, rock climbing sailing, stand up paddle boards trekking um, just building your own raft um, navigation (laughs) so like the course is not marked and you get your map an hour before it starts. And then you have to be able to navigate with a map and compass uh, through these different obstacles, different sections of the race, to get to different checkpoints so that you can get your next map to figure out where you're going. And so once the, once the clock starts, it just doesn't stop until you finish. Um, and you're basically self-supported, racing in teams of four. And then you have one crew person that you see maybe once every two to three days. Um, So pretty wild, especially, you know, for someone that had never really done some of those activities before, like sailing. I didn't know how to sail before (laughs) we were going on this uh, race, this show. Um, And so, like, I had to take a sailing course online, uh, which definitely does not, you know cover what you're actually i mean it's not the same as actually being in a boat sailing on the ocean but it's pretty amazing that you can learn to sail online um and you know i took a jungle navigation course online um and so like just things like that uh wilderness first aid and cpr like all these different just skills that you had to learn and you have to be like very proficient in them to be successful in this race
0: Man, that sounds wild that um before you did a race like that they actually had you well or you had to do online courses and you had no hands-on experience that's pretty crazy um mate, that's that's epic is that and uh like i said for anyone who's listening you know definitely check that out because when i seen it with my own eyes and watched it i was like blown away by you know um some of the things that was doing And and i'm pretty sure mate you can uh back me up on this is that even though the documentary is well done, it probably still doesn't give the real, you know, like when you're in the water, like sometimes when you're getting out and you're having to get back in that cold water at nighttime, just that emotional, that's that's attached to being cold. I just, I think when you watch these documentaries, I find myself too, you know, you get motivated. You like, I've watched a few documentaries on, you know, ultras and I'm like, right, I'm, I'm ready. I want to do this. I just, you can't put in the feeling of that, then dark, lonely, Cold times that you're probably going to experience.
1: Absolutely, and um, one of the like one of the great things that I think it did show um, it just it really showed how you know um, you racing something like that you do need a team of you know all four people that are out there your fifth person who is your crew person like it really does take. Uh, a special group of people to be able to all put that together uh, and work through some of the more difficult times in uh, just being out there. Um, And it's always so interesting to see the team dynamics of this as well. Um, And I think the show did a good job of showing, like, there are some teams that, you know, they went in, they've raced together before, Mm -hmm. and they just don't work well together at all. And those are the teams that you kind of see dropping out of the race uh, fairly early on. Compared to the teams that, you know, they realize they have someone that may have a strength in one thing and somebody else that may have a strength in something else. And so instead of one person being like the, oh, like, I know all of this, I have to mm-hmm. be, you know, the the only strong person, like the leader in what I say goes, they, they show that uh, by actually recognizing and acknowledging that that is not their strength and letting somebody else lead through those, like, what may not be their strength um the team actually works better together um and so like that's just one of like the things i thought was really cool uh specifically watching you know some of the really fast teams out there but yeah um it takes a lot of just teammate motivation and self-motivation uh to get back in some of that cold water to get back on that mountain bike after you've been carrying your mountain bike for 20 kilometers at because it's just been so muddy that you can't ride it without falling off or the back wheel jamming up um, and just, you know, you're doing this on no sleep. And so yeah. it's just, it's so wild to watch everyone uh, just get through that.
0: No, that's awesome, buddy. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I had fun time watching it and I highly recommend if you've not checked that out, yeah, get onto Amazon Prime everyone and uh, yeah, give that a watch, it'll uh, definitely uh, get you motivated to do something extra yourself. Um, that's awesome buddy um mate with a few of the things that you've done uh, again not trying to touch on everything because i know you've done a, a hell of a lot of stuff but um mate, tell us just maybe a couple one or two things like high moments and low moments throughout your endurance career
1: yeah uh there have definitely been a lot of highs and lows um peaks and valleys <laughs> <laughs> um no uh, so one of the highlights I will say is uh, just like last week finishing that 100 kilometer race in Wales um, that was a huge win for me even though like I didn't I didn't have a great race but I, but I finished and so uh, for me like that was a win um, because I have really struggled at the 100 kilometer distance um, 100 miles seems to be fine for me 50 miles seems to be fine 100 kilometers uh, I I think I've finished three of the 100-kilometer races that I've started, um, but I have not finished... No, I've finished three of maybe seven now, three of seven or three of eight. Um, and so, like, in Wales, uh, you you saw your drop bag at 52 kilometers, and uh, I was not having a great race at that point. I was pretty cold, pretty tired, And at 52 kilometers is like, you know, I could just, I could pull myself out of the race right here. I could end the discomfort. I could end the cold. Like, I could, I could literally be back at the Airbnb soaking in the tub, warm, eating pizza, and be completely happy. And I don't think anybody would be upset with me if I just stopped, you know, right here at 52 kilometers. And I could just chalk it up to being like, oh, well, I'm not good at this 100 kilometer race. So, that went through my head like the whole morning i was just like i'm gonna drop at 52 kilometers i'm gonna drop because i really don't have to finish this thing and then i got there got to my drop bag and was like i'm just gonna put on new socks new shoes and i'm gonna go back out there and i'm gonna finish this thing and uh it was a very long second half of the race for me but i finished so like that for me was just like all right I am turning things around this year. Uh, Things are going well. So like I was very, very, very excited about that. Um, And it sounds so funny because like my next highlight is probably uh, the Pinhoti Trail fastest known time that I did last year, which is 350 miles with 50,000 feet of elevation gain, or the year before that when I did the Ice Age Trail, which is 1,200 miles. So here I am getting super excited over finishing a 62 mile race but like that's still one of the highlights <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, yeah th- um, um yeah i think sorry man just to jump in is i suppose as you do each of these it's almost it's a unique experience i'm guessing so every single moment or race as you break it down i'm sure there's like there's something that sticks with you that you're like man that was awesome or that was horrible I'm going to remember that even you know which way it lands type of thing so yeah that's cool and then uh, sorry to butt in.
1: yeah absolutely I mean you know there's a lot you can learn from all these races and a lot of just uh things that you can kind of pull on when you need to um but you know some of the lows I mean I'm really bad at the hundred kilometer distance. And, uh, I've, I've had, you know, four or five DNFs at the hundred kilometer distance now. Um, and it's funny cause I shouldn't say that I'm really bad at it, but I just really struggled to finish them. And so I've had some really like big high profile DNFs at the hundred kilometer distance that have just been absolutely crushing for me. Um, like two years ago I was training for black Canyon hundred K I went there to try to get a golden ticket for Western States. um, And I ended up peeing blood, you know, 19 miles into the race. Um, And it was just like, I mean, I, at that point, I had stopped drinking for 10 weeks going into that race. I'd cut out like sugar. Like I was doing everything possible that I could to make sure that I was in like tip top shape for this thing. Mm -hmm. And then to be peeing blood 19 miles in is just like, what, what is happening right now? Like, this is not how racing's supposed to go, but I mean, that's racing. Or, um, I flew to Japan for ultra trail Mount Fuji. And I was like, I can't wait to get a Western States and a hard rock qualifier done. Like this is going to be amazing. And then it ended up being a blizzard that year. And they stopped the race when I was at mile 90 of Ooh. 106. So here I am at mile 90 standing basically under this like tent um, as they stopped the race. And so it's like there are only 18 finishers of this race at that point. And so we're all just like, oh, here we are, here we are. And they had to hold us in the aid station until it was, we were able to finally walk down this mountain. Uh, but instead of, you know, being able to continue the race like an hour later or something like that, it was they stopped the race. And so it's, like, I flew to Japan, spent two weeks there. It was all focused on this thing. And it was, like, I'm going to get this done. This is going to be great. And then uh, they, they stopped the race, and I'm 90 miles in. And so for me, like, that was one of my first, like, really big, like, high-profile DNFs. And um, that one took me a while to get over. Um, and it wasn't necessarily... It wasn't anything that, you know, I did. It's just I was literally probably two minutes too slow to leave that aid station before the race was canceled. Because um, yeah. that was at aid station eight. But if you made it to aid station nine, then you were off of the ridge and you're going back down into town. So right. if you're at nine or after, then you got to finish. But if, you're, if you hadn't made it to nine yet, then uh, you didn't finish. And so... I was just like, but how can they do that to someone? I was like, we've all run like 90 miles now, and and now it's just, it's over. And so, uh, yeah, but that was like one of my first big, my first introduction to like really like big mountain races, uh, that you had a mandatory gear kit that you had to have, and I thought it was so wild that the gear list for this thing was like 18 items or whatever. And it turns out I used every single item that was in my gear kit during that race, because <laughs> it was just like such a wide range of conditions.
0: Yeah. Well, um, if you remember, mate, from that, what, what was like, I don't know, what was like maybe a couple pieces of equipment that you would probably would have never thought of even bringing, like if it wasn't uh, on that list?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, waterproof pants. Like oh. I don't like pants. I, I rarely wear pants. Like I love not having to wear actual pants for pretty much everything. But, uh, during that race, I believe I as close to like a hundred kilometers in and I had those waterproof pants on and I used those just for the rest of that race. Uh, and then, um, I think that was like the biggest one that I just never really thought of because, uh, so, you had to have waterproof pants, and then you also had to either have uh, like half tights and long socks, or you could wear or you could have um, just like a pair of long tights. And so, yeah. you still, you just, you had to have either or. Um, and I just thought that was so wild. I'm like, why would, why would you have to have, you know, long pants? Like, it's not going to be that cold, or it's not going to blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, and if it, if it does get that cold, then that's what your, you know, waterproof pants are for, right? Well, it turns out I also had my tights on and had my waterproof pants on (laughs) because it was cold. Um, But it was just my first experience doing anything like that, that you had to have uh, just like simple things like that.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's also good to know that like the people who are organizing these events kind of have a, obviously they have an idea of, hey, you know, if we're putting this on your equipment list, you know, make sure you bring it because someone's probably used it in the past at some point and they've probably had to add it to the list, you know, as they've, as they've got experienced themselves. So, uh, yeah, that's good to know that these organizers know what they're doing. Um, mate talking of equipment, I had it down as like a little side question. Mate, any of your like Corey tips for equipment that might, you know, like get people through, you know, through these events or just little, like hidden tricks of the trade that you've picked up along the way
1: yeah um lighter does not always mean better um and so that is one thing that i've had to learn because um you know a lot of people just want to go with like the lightest gear possible the latest greatest newest thing which is great usually um like if you're on a shorter race or something then totally fine but you know on some of these things like it really is not a great thing to use the lightest newest whatever thing um and and so, uh, the other thing that I always use now are trekking poles. Um, I like, especially being out here on the East Coast with our trails being as rocky and ruddy as they are, um, I love trekking poles just for like, I don't use them on my recovery days because I'm usually running on flatter stuff then, but I use them for uphills, for downhills, and I swear it saves my legs so much. That like my recovery time is actually a lot less now that I'm using trekking poles, especially on like steep downhills.
0: Okay, yeah, I think yeah, I'm thinking and debating about getting some trekking poles myself for this race that I've got coming up. Um, Because I managed to do the you know the Tushers 100 kilometer. I did that without poles, and I remember on the last leg, I, I set off. I think we had eight miles left. And I set off with a group. There was like eight of us that left the last aid station. And once I got chatting, like, obviously, you know, we're all chatting away. It's like nighttime. So we've got the head torches on just kind of following the light trail. And um, everyone, like, almost everyone was like, dude, like, this is your first ultra and you've not even got poles like what the hell and i was just like uh yeah i just didn't want to spend the money (laughs) type of thing but um yeah a lot of people have been telling me like hey get some poles because it's going to save your legs and it's going to kind of give you a little bit more energy for getting around so yeah i'm definitely going to be looking at investing in some of them mate on that note watches have you got a particular watch that is like, this is the one to have, you know, like battery life, that type of stuff. Cause I had the Garmin and I'm not trying to, um, down talk Garmin. I've had this watch quite a few years, but, um, I put it on the lowest GPS setting to save battery and it had me at like the wrong distance. You know, I thought I'd done more distance than what I actually had. And then eventually this was only on hundred K the battery life went on me anyway. So I was kind of like, is there a watch in mind mate that you'd recommend?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I had, you know, a Garmin Phoenix 3 for the longest time. I loved it, um, but the battery life on it just once again, you know, it wasn't quite cutting it for me when I started getting into some of these longer things. Um, so I finally switched to Koros, and I use the Vertex 2 now. Uh, I had the original Vertex, now I have the Vertex 2. Um, I really I really like it. Um, the battery life on it is great. Um, I think it's pretty close to being just as accurate as you know maybe a Garmin Phoenix 7 or whatever out, is out now. Uh, the battery life is awesome. Um, but I also use it as just like a daily like fitness tracker um yeah, yeah. and i keep i keep the heart rate running 24/7 on it um at like its highest setting so that it's like literally instant heart rate rather than like the average of the 10 minute heart rate yep. and i like that um for me it's not even necessarily a thing that i really look at when i'm training or running but it's more from a recovery side of things Uh, So I wear my watch at night when I sleep and um, I just use that to track my overnight heart rate and see like what the average is overnight and like what the low heart rate is. And so that's kind of how I can tell I've been getting back into shape or not. Um, And also, like if I'm feeling a little bit off or a little bit sick, then I love to look at that heart rate data and um, just kind of see what's going on there. And i know that the heart rate data like wrist heart rate is not necessarily the most accurate thing but it's still consistent and so that's what i love to use and just uh, that's what i love it for the most actually
0: awesome buddy and uh, i'm sure you get this question a lot from people and um make the sponsorship like, how did that come about? Like, how did you land on, you know, North Face's radar? And then since you've been a part of them, you know, what's maybe some of the cool stuff that you've got to, you know, get to do? And, you know, how does that even work?
1: Yeah. Um, So 20, let me think, 2019 was my first year at the North Face. Uh, Before that, as with Innovate for two years, um, and it was interesting. So Trail Runner Magazine wanted to do this article and they're like, oh, what's it like being black and gay in the trail running world? And I was like, wow, cool, original, that story's actually been done before because literally everybody wanted to write a story about it or a podcast. So uh, I was like, how about we talk about the lack of sponsorship for ultra runners in the Midwest? And they're like, oh, I've never thought of that. Like, well, here, let me lay it out for you. And so uh, I totally just, like, spun their article into something that they weren't thinking it was going to be. Um, and that got the attention of uh, the athlete manager at the time of the North Face. And they were looking at their team. They were like, oh, yeah, we don't have anyone that's in the Midwest. Um, and, like, other people were like, oh, yeah, we don't actually have athletes that are in the Midwest. And so it's just, like, this really funny thing of – Just like I was just the first person to like just really call it out and just be like, hey, like it's cool. Like people aren't sponsoring athletes from the Midwest. It's okay, but like don't pretend like you're not. Um, And so uh, I then went on to run Western States that year and ran uh, pretty decent there. And that's kind of what got uh, more of the conversation started. And then uh, I left Innovate for the North Face uh, at the end of 2018
0: awesome buddy um yeah i mean that's it's kind of cool man that um you kind of stood up to in essentially you know something that's way bigger than yourself or you know like seems bigger than yourself you know these big brands and yeah you kind of put the, put it on their toes as, I, as I'd put it, you know, as I'd uh, word it. And uh, yeah, they uh, got them scratching their heads and it seemed like, it, you know, it kind of worked out for the better. Um, mate, since you've been working with North Face, like, have you been able to make some big changes, you know, maybe for people who are running from the Midwest or even, you know, other areas that are represented?
1: Um, so I think that like one of the biggest things that uh, happened is when I did the Ice Age Trail and set the FKT on that, Um, I think that that brought a lot more attention to the Midwest. Um, like Annie, that she had the overall FKT on the ice age trail, uh, when she did it, like she got some attention from it, but not as much, but then it's like, oh, there's an athlete from the North face, North face that's coming to do this. And so that just like brought a lot more to it, um, which I mean, um, you know, she ran absolutely amazing. And I still think she should get way more credit than she did. Um, But it was one of those things now where it's like, oh, if I'm going to some of these things, um, it does kind of help show off some of the smaller races that maybe don't get put on the radar of, Mm -hmm. you know, like the national attention of like just random stuff. But like people forget that uh, the Ice Age 100, so it's a 100 mile race in Wisconsin is, like, the 11th oldest 100-mile race in the country. Like, uh, Superior 100 up in Minnesota is, like, the 10th oldest 100-mile race in the country. Um, And it's just so wild to me because there are so many great ultra runners that come out of the Midwest, specifically the upper Midwest, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, that they end up moving to, like, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, California and all that stuff. but they come from there. they come from those uh, high school and collegiate programs. Yeah. and and so it's just it's so wild to me that um, there are so many runners that come from there, but then uh, a lot of like these bigger companies don't end up sponsoring athletes uh, before they end up moving out west
0: yeah yeah so mate do you um not to like put words in your mouth but um do you kind of feel like better that you're in a way you're doing it your own way you're not just kind of following it seems like there's a uh, there's a pattern of people that are like oh i need to move here and get involved with these particular either programs or just be around these people to kind of maybe make it big or just you know make their name a little bit bigger in the scene like do you, I, I get the vibe that you're just happy doing it your own way. And like I said, representing for where you're from, man.
1: Yeah. You know, I, uh, I enjoy being out here. I mean, I'm now at, down in Tennessee and Georgia and I mean, I love it down here. Um, I mean the rest of the team is all out West and like, I love going out there to see them. I wish they'd all come out here also. Cause we have some really, really, really cool places out here. Um, but that's the thing. It's like, um, if, trail running wants to be as inclusive and you know open for everybody and you know uh if you're supposed to push your boundaries and never stop exploring and just all these other uh, slogans that people throw out there I mean uh go explore somewhere else like get out of the west for once and come out here and explore like it's fun we really do have great trails come on
0: no, that's awesome, man. Like I said, um, yeah, sounds sounds good. And um, I remember I was following when you did the what was uh, sorry the trail you mentioned through uh, back home, was it Wisconsin? Yeah, the, the Ice Age Trail, twelve
1: hundred yeah. miles. Woo. Yeah,
0: but I was following you along on the old IG, and yeah, some of the routes and the places you was at, it's just yeah, looked amazing. And uh, I was definitely made me think about you know traveling out there and maybe you know on some of the Ice Age Trail myself. Yeah, uh, that's awesome, man. Um, tell us, mate, when when Corey's not not in not in your running shoes and your running gear, you know what's Corey up to outside of the running and off the trails. What's the, what's your thing?
1: Yeah, uh, I wish that there is more time for that right now, um, but it seems like I'm always in my running gear and stuff because uh, I do have a big race coming up in September, uh, and so. Uh, right now, like, I'm honestly just focused on getting in as green of shape as possible. Um, but when I'm not actually running, um, it's funny. Uh, so my New Year's resolution was to eat, like, a slice of pie or cake every day. Um, and that has, <laughs> And that has literally gone from, like, pie, cake, to cheesecake, to now it's, like, basically any bakery item or like something that's just not mass produced. I'm totally fine with that. But if it has to be from the store, then that's okay too because sometimes that's just how it is um so basically i've been uh trying to find the best bakery in the country the best coffee shop in the country and trying essentially everything that i can from any of those places um but i'm not too bad of a baker myself uh i'm also sponsored by kodiak cakes so uh they uh they have you can take their pancake mix and you can make cookies and cupcakes and like pound cake and the strudel and scones out of it so that (laughs) that ends up being what I do and I'm not doing anything else um yeah I know I I should start like a food podcast or something um I can also tell you all the coffee you don't want to drink when you're on the road (laughs) um (laughs) anyway um but yeah I have books um and it's funny because I say that I like to read, but what I really like to do is I like to buy books and I'll read the back cover of them. And then they go with the rest of the books that I haven't read yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. um, and same thing. I'll tell you that I like to do art stuff, which is true. I do enjoy doing art stuff, but uh, it's all sitting in a closet right now because I've just been too tired to do anything else. Um <laughs>
0: so yeah yeah it sounds a little bit like me but i've got um i've got quite a lot of books and i kind of do the same thing i flick through them obviously attracted to the pictures have a quick look at the pictures but uh, i've definitely become more of a audio book or podcast type of guy especially you know when you're out on the trails and you're running you can kind of whacking the headphones, you know, uh, get some good listening in instead of just kind of, I don't know, I've kind of, I've got away from listening to music. Uh, I don't know, do you listen to music when you run or anything, or are you just out there in your own thoughts?
1: I do. Uh, I do both, actually. Sometimes I, sometimes I'll just kind of be out there without headphones on, Um, but I love listening to music when I'm out there. And I mean, I take it back. I will have one headphone in. So yeah, yeah. Um, I always like to have, you know, one ear that's completely clear. Um, and then, you know, in the other one, it's it really just kind of depends, I guess. Uh, I love hard rock, heavy metal. Um, but there are certain days that I'm just like, you know, I'm not going to listen to this out on the trail. Um, so I don't know. I have a wide variety of music that I like, I guess. But like audiobooks podcasts, like honestly, I really can't can't do that out on the trail because I, I i don't know it just that doesn't work for me
0: nah, nah, nah. that's cool man um one more kind of side question and it's kind of a little bit for me buddy uh, but i'm sure everyone else was going to get something from this so uh, let's just let's just say a hundred mile race or a hundred kilometer race you know What's what's the nutrition plan like for you when you're on these races? Like, have you got some tips and like key things where you're like this is a must-have?
1: Yeah. Um, so I always like to say that you should um, basically practice your nutrition strategy ahead of time. Um, obviously, um, but you know, I I will basically take every long run and use that as a chance to work on my nutrition for um, for basically a 100-mile race or 100K or whatever. Um, so personally, I'm about 350 calories per hour, um, which can be a lot at times, especially on like, those like hot, humid days or sometimes at like higher altitudes. I kind of struggle to get in 350 calories an hour. Um, so there are two routes that I'll go about it sometimes I'll just go with liquid calories. So like Gnarly Nutrition, uh, I'm also with them. So like I'll use their uh, Fuel 2o is what it's called. And I'll push 350 calories an hour of that. Um, And so depending on the day, um, temperature, altitude, all that stuff, that can be, um, sometimes it's about 16 to 17 ounces of liquid per hour and then there are other times it's up to about 30 ounces of liquid in an hour and still getting in those calories yeah. um on the cooler days it's probably gonna be closer you know to like 16 17 ounces um but you know using like an gnarly and then i'll have like a kodiak cake muffin or something like that uh pretty easy to get 350 calories an hour um on some of these like cold cooler 100 mile races 100k races even um i will um i will use <laughs> i'll use mcdonald's cheeseburgers because no. mcdonald's cheeseburgers and chicken sandwiches are amazing for getting in calories yep. and not having to worry about um, not having to worry about like them spoiling like you could go mm. get a bunch of them at noon and they're still going to be fine at midnight um yeah. And so they fit perfectly in, you know, any hydration pack, whatever. And basically, like, it's just calories. It's they're they're not amazing. They're not necessarily the best calories for you, but they're perfect to get the job done. Uh, Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) I'll use stuff like that. Um, Yeah, just I mean for me, it's been more of a learning process because when you take on something like the ice age trail, for example, um, you need to have five foods that you can eat no matter what, like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're tired of eating. It doesn't matter if you're throwing up. It doesn't matter at all. Like you have five foods that no matter how bad it gets, you can still get these things down. So to do that, like I literally went out to Walmart one day bought like 15 different cans of soup, bought like all the little Debbie cakes, bought like all these different things and would just like eat a can of soup raw and then go out on a run and see if it upset my stomach. And I would just like keep adding all these different things in just to see if I like the taste of it or if I can tolerate the taste of it and then see how it made my stomach feel. So then after that, it's like, okay, once I had it narrowed down to five things, I'm like, these are the five things that will always work for me. So even from ice age trail to doing the pinhody trail, FKT to some of these hundred mile races, we will still show up. And my crew will still have those five things for me. And there are certain days where I'll come into an aid station, like I don't want to eat. And they're like, great, but this is on your list of five.
0: Yeah. 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 Now that, that makes sense, mate. And uh, I kind of say that to even some of the people that I'm involved with is yeah, get out there. Like you said, you know, do your nutrition checks. Um, see what like you said what doesn't upset your stomach what kind of sits well even just if you like some people don't even they don't take into consideration that they're going to be running through all hours of the morning and at some point like obviously in normal day-to-day life you're probably sleeping at them times but you need to go out maybe and do a a long run starting early in the morning so you can practice like how do you feel eating that early when you've never done it before? And again, how are you going to feel? What food kind of sits right? So yeah, it kind of, it's crazy that not a lot of people think of it, but it's, it's a lot of common sense, but it's not until you've been put in a certain situation where you're like the light bulb comes on. It's like, Oh wait, I haven't, I need to check this. I need to try this out. And so, uh, yeah, that, I'm sure that's going to be helpful. Definitely helpful to me. Um, I don't think I've got my, I've definitely not got my five foods, but I've, I know I've got a, at least two or three on there that I know work for me, but, um, I'll definitely probably, I don't know, mate. I might, I might give the old McDonald's a try and, uh, see if that, uh, fuels me up. mate. makes me a, a little bit faster on the trails. Uh, that's now, that's a good one. Um, what i do buddy um is i've got the big 10 questions i i kind of fire these out randomly uh, i've been doing it with a guest that i've had on so far so it's just some kind of random questions tip of the tongue um favorite musician artist slipknot slipknot cool um favorite meal or just go-to food like not uh, for when you're on the trail like as in when you can choose anything
1: uh chicken tenders and fries
0: nice um Think you've kind of answered this, but uh, what book have you, are you reading, or what back of the book have you just finished reading? <laughs>
1: uh, I think the book that I have right now is like the girl that played with fire. Um, I think that's the one I just got. So yeah,
0: right. Uh, favorite sports team, buddy? Uh,
1: I don't think I have one. I don't. I don't watch sports um, unless people ask me to go watch them
0: got it got it all good uh favorite athlete
1: uh Simone Biles
0: nice mountains or the ocean
1: both I mean you can have both
0: yeah yeah definitely man um do you have anything that you are like totally scared of or phobias
1: uh, being out here on the East Coast, uh, snakes have now become a huge uh, uh, stress for yeah, uh, me out on the trail.
0: <laughs> uh, you, you see a lot of them out there.
1: Yes, and uh, it's it's always funny trying to decide if it's poisonous or not. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah, just get just give them a wide berth and kind of avoid.
1: Oh, but our but our trails aren't like that. Our trails are very narrow and like grown in on both sides. So that's, oh, right. that's what's the freaky part about it.
0: Yes. So you're pretty much having to take your chance and hurdle. Yep. Um mate, hitting the town for a night out or hitting the sofa and having and just watching a movie?
1: Oh, movies all the way.
0: Uh what's your what's your biggest or has been your biggest influence up until like this day? Like, whether it's a person or just something that's happened?
1: Um, hmm, My biggest influence, I'd say, uh, just in general, uh, I'd have to say that uh, I've been my biggest influence. Like, I've always been uh, drawn to just doing things because I want to know how it feels. Uh, and so, like, I don't really know what the the word for that is uh but that's just kind of how i've always been whether that works out great or not um that's how i am
0: a little bit like uh like inquisitive just kind of yeah intrigued by finding things out that's awesome man and um where do you see yourself in a year's time from now
1: oh a year's time from now uh mid-july next year hopefully uh you know somewhere in europe and getting ready to race utmb
0: utmb man you, you not done that one yet or i have not oh yeah i've, not, I've watched the again what's the only watched the documentaries uh the place looks beautiful even if it was just to get out there and check it out like a vacation but yeah to run it i can imagine that's a beautiful thing yeah that's awesome man um i know you mentioned it already but what's what's your next thing mate that's on the calendar like your next big event
1: yeah, so in September I have Tour de Jeans, which is a—it's uh, about two hundred and twenty miles with between eighty to th- eighty to ninety thousand feet of elevation gain uh, in the Italian Alps. So um, yeah, that's the next big thing, and it's uh, going to be very interesting and fun.
0: Mate, that sounds pretty gnarly and, uh, yeah, awesome stuff, man. Um, mate, is there anything, like, any plugs that you want to get out here or, you know, if people want to follow you a little bit more closely, you know, keep up with your journey? Like, is there any, you know, like, on your socials or even, like, websites, anything that you want to share with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, my tra- uh, my training is on Strava. Uh, and then, you know, just I'm on Instagram at Corey Woltering um pretty easy to find on there and yeah i don't know sometimes i'm super active and sometimes i'm not so uh i don't know i like it that way
0: <laughs> no that's cool buddy um i'll put all them in the description too so people who do want to you know maybe follow you and just see what you're up to uh whether it's on strava or ig i'll put that in the description uh, I just like to say you know I appreciate your time I know you're a busy busy guy uh, training hard and you know here there and everywhere so thank you uh, you know for sitting down mate it's uh, been awesome uh, thanks for some of the insights into some of the stuff that you've experienced and done um, some of them tips too with the equipment and the uh, nutrition uh, I know that's going to be helpful to myself and probably you know everyone else who's going to listen to this and uh, just lastly mate uh, anything else that you might just want to finish up with like a final message maybe give some people some motivation or you know maybe Maybe them future you know trail runners that don't realize that they're a potential trail runner you know maybe get some more people inspired
1: yeah honestly uh you know just go try something different we we're all you know creatures of habit and we like to do the same thing it's like go go explore that one trail that you've always wanted to um and like as i always say you know you can do anything 10 seconds at a time
0: awesome buddy Corey, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for stopping by. And for everyone else who's been listening, we've been joined by Corey Waltering, an endurance athlete for North Face. He's he's done plenty of things and he's got some big things up on the future. So uh, yeah, like I said, follow along, uh, maybe find some inspiration from this dude because he's doing big things. And again, uh, it's been a pleasure, buddy.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate it, mate. Thank you.